Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged man playing adventure game books out loud on the internet. That middle-aged man is me, Hieronymus J. Doom. On this episode, I'll be playing through Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland by Jonathan Green, with illustrations by Kev Crossley. It was released in 2015 by Snowbooks. This bonus episode, like every bonus episode, is made possible because of the people who support me on Patreon. I made a decision when I started this podcast that I wouldn't gate any episodes behind a paywall, and I wouldn't include ads unless the podcast wasn't paying for itself. So every listener benefits from the kind souls who support me with their hard-earned cash. And this episode, I have the very pleasant duty to thank a new patron, Ozzy. Thank you so much for your support, Ozzy, and I hope you are enjoying the game book that I send out to all new patrons. You can support me by going to patreon.com forward slash hjdoom and pledging as little as a single English pound or local equivalent. As Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland is a game book written recently in 2015 and still easily commercially available, I asked permission from the author to record a playthrough and he was kind enough to provide it. I'm a big fan of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, so I'm very much looking forward to playing this riff on Lewis Carroll's classic. I deliberately didn't reread my beloved copy of the annotated Alice before embarking on this because I didn't want my closing remarks to be a series of tedious comparisons between this and the source material. Alice has proven remarkably amenable to reinterpretation by a wide range of really talented creators, and also Tim Burton. Twice. The system is somewhat familiar to fighting fantasy fans, but there's a few wrinkles. One, the book gives you explicit permission to simply say you're going to win all the fights and pass all the attribute tests. I think people are going to do that anyway, but I thought it was a classy touch to include it as an official part of the rules. Secondly, you get to pick your stats rather than rolling for them randomly. I'm of two minds about this. I think it's probably a good thing on subsequent playthroughs, but a bit intimidating when you don't know what to expect. You also have a few more stats that are a little bit more complicated than your traditional fighting fantasy book. You've got agility, logic and combat, all of which start at 6, insanity which starts at 0 and endurance which starts at 20. You then spend 10 points to improve any stat you like except insanity which you want to stay as low as possible. You can't put more than 5 into any stat so your main stats Agility, Logic and Combat are all capped at 11, and your Endurance is capped at 25. Now, I'm amused by the idea of playing Alice as someone who solves all her problems with her fists, so I've chosen to put 5 points into Combat, 2 points into Agility, 2 points into Logic, and the leftover point into Endurance, giving me a starting character with Agility 8, Logic 8, Combat 11, and Endurance 21, my Insanity in the gamebook at least, is zero. You test your stats by rolling 2d6 equal to or under the stat, except for endurance where you test on 4d6 and insanity which you test by rolling 2d6 and trying to get over your insanity score. If it were me, I'd have made endurance have the same range as the other stats, and indeed that's what I did with my game book, and I probably would have made it so that sanity started at 12 and then got progressively lower so that you could test it in the same way as the other attributes but that really is nitpicking. This is fine. The combat rules are fairly similar as well. 
There's a neat trick whereby the character with initiative gets a plus one boost to their combat score and they can retain the initiative so long as they win each combat round. Um, so I like that a lot, that's quite a neat wrinkle. And the combat rules when there's multiple combatants are a little different but we'll talk about them as and when we get to them. On top of that you get two special abilities which are called Curiouser and Curiouser and the pen is mightier and these are really ways you have of changing the narrative and changing the nightmare dream world. It's not entirely clear how they work but I think it'll make sense in the text and you can only use each one three times. So I think that's everything. Let's tumble down the rabbit hole and dive into Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland. Down the rabbit hole. You're late. Wake up. Alice wakes up with a start and sits up blinking in surprise and looking about her in bewilderment. It is a balmy summer's afternoon and she is sitting beside a river, the long grass that has formed her bed dotted with daisies. The waters gurgle softly as they pass by on their way downstream. Something about the scene seems very familiar. Don't just sit there. Get up. You're late, comes the shrill voice again. The hot weather making her feel sleepy and dull-witted, Alice follows the sound to its source. There, standing in the shade of a chestnut tree, is a white rabbit. But this isn't just any white rabbit. This particular rabbit is dressed in the manner of an English gentleman, jacket, waistcoat and all. The rabbit's ears are a little threadbare, the stuffing poking out through holes worn in the skin, and as it tilts its head to one side to observe her with its glassy pink eyes, Alice thinks she hears a grating of gears. Alice jumps to her feet as it flashes through her mind that, once upon a time, on some previous occasion, she saw something like this rabbit wearing a waistcoat and carrying a pocket watch. But there is no timepiece clutched in the rabbit's paws this time. Who are you to say that I'm late when you're not even carrying a pocket watch? Alice asks, not one to be outdone by an animal that looks like nothing more than a taxidermist test subject. The rabbit says nothing but simply unbuttons its waistcoat, and Alice gasps as her former cockiness is consumed by gut-wrenching terror, where the rabbit's stomach should be a huge watch ticks, a clock large enough to fill the cavity from ribcage to pelvis, raw and ragged scrags of meat poking between the wire stitches that bind watch and rabbit together. So... Straight in with the horror imagery, and I have to say, I like it. These intro texts are a way of setting out your stall and letting the player know what kind of game they're in for, and this has done a really fantastic job of that so far. It's Alice in Wonderland. It's not the Alice in Wonderland you remember. Oh, by the way, everything's horrible. Kind of like if Alice in Wonderland was happening in 2022. How can I be late? Alice asks the rabbit, when I don't even know what it is I'm late for. She is suddenly aware of the wind having picked up as scuds of cloud race each other across the sky, a sky which has changed from sapphire blue to a seething, bloody claret. You are needed in Wonderland, the white rabbit informs her, the twitching of its nose accompanied by a mechanical whirring sound. Wonderland. There is something familiar about that name. Alice is sure of it, but she can't quite put her finger on what it is. It's the Queen of Hearts. The whole realm has suffered the ravages of her tyrannical reign. And if you thought things were bad before, they are considerably worse now. 
It's a miracle I managed to escape her TikTok men. Before? Alice whispers in a daze. TikTok men? Yes, TikTok men. Where else do you think I ended up like this? The rabbit says, looking down at his stomach and the ticking timepiece embedded within what little flesh remains there. Alice stares at the creature in dumbfounded amazement before finally finding her voice again. Why are you telling me this? What do you expect me to do about it? Why? gasps the rabbit in incredulity. We need you, Alice. Wonderland needs you. But what do you need me to do? We need you to kill the Queen, of course. Kill the Queen? Alice echoes. But why me? The white rabbit gives an exasperated sigh and takes a deep breath in an attempt to compose itself before speaking again. Because it's your nightmare. Now turn to paragraph one. So there we go, we've uh, had a nice setup. Wonderland, but it's gone horrible. It's not the first time this has been done, of course. It's a familiar trope, but it's one that I always enjoy. And I think it's one of those tropes that I enjoy because I loved the book so much as a child and I love seeing media that attempts to marry that curious sense of wonder that Lewis Carroll evokes with these jaded and cynical times in which we are sadly forced to live. Alice stares at the rabbit, unsure what to say, a dozen questions crowding her mind. Who is the Queen of Hearts? Who turned the white rabbit into a walking timepiece? And how does he expect her to kill anyone? After all, she's only 11 years old. But before she can give voice to even one of the questions, the white rabbit speaks again. Come on, there's not a moment to lose. The clock is ticking, he says, looking pointedly at his clock-filled stomach cavity. And with that, he turns tail and scampers off across the meadow through the long, wind-tugged grass. If you think Alice should set off in pursuit... You can, or if you think that following half-clockwork talking rabbits could never be considered wise, you can do that too. So we have here the opportunity to refuse the call to adventure. I always appreciate that. I'm playing this as an e-book, so I don't have the luxury of actually using my fingers as sausagey bookmarks. So I need to be a little bit more sensible about the choices I make. So I'm going to accept this call to adventure and go off in pursuit of the rabbit. Are you ready to go back down the rabbit hole? Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland. Oh no, wait, that's not right. Okay, straight away, slightly annoyingly, the first link I clicked on didn't work. Now, having written an adventure game book, I know how hard it is to make sure every link works, particularly across multiple different devices and multiple different formats. It's a little bit irritating that the first thing I click on took me to the wrong place. Still, I found the right one now. Just to the advantage of actually providing numbers, you can always, always find them if you need to. Burning with curiosity, Alice runs off across the field after the rabbit. Just as she's starting to feel that she might actually be catching up with it, the creature disappears down a large rabbit hole under a hedge. Stumbling to a halt, Alice peers down into the earthy darkness. This is all looking very familiar, but she can't quite remember why. If she pulls away some of the turf from around the entrance, she should be able to squeeze inside the burrow. Such activity will doubtless make a mess of her dress, and what would Nurse say? For some reason I decided to hit the H in what there. Never mind, it's staying in. At her back, the wind continues to rise. 
Do you think Alice should follow the white rabbit underground, or do you think crawling down rabbit holes is not behaviour befitting a young lady? Well, I think the behaviour befitting young ladies is pretty much whatever they want to do. So I'm going to follow the white rabbit underground. Squeezing along the tunnel, Alice drags herself through the loamy dark, unable to see more than a foot in front of her face. There is no sign of the white rabbit now. The further Alice wriggles along the tunnel, between probing roots and writhing worms, dangling from the roof of the burrow, the more opaque the gloom becomes. Without any warning, the tunnel dips suddenly downwards, so suddenly, in fact, that Alice doesn't have a moment to think about stopping herself before she is plunging headfirst down the damp throat of what is clearly a very deep well. But as she falls, her eyes become accustomed to the darkness, and Alice realises that the sides of the wall are lined with cupboards and with bookshelves. Looking down, she can see no end to the well shaft in sight. However, she is coming up on another cupboard. Do you think Alice should try and find out what it holds, or would you rather just let it alone? I am incorrigibly nosy. I feel like 11-year-olds, by and large, are incorrigibly nosy. I think Alice is going to try and find out what it holds. Taking something from the cupboard whilst falling down the well isn't going to be as easy as perhaps it sounds. In all fairness, it sounds quite difficult. So we must do an agility test. My agility is eight. I roll a four and a three. That's a seven. That is a pass. Alice manages to open the cupboard door with one hand and reach inside with the other, pulling out a large pair of scissors. Add the scissors to Alice's adventure sheet. If she ever finds herself in combat, you can use the scissors as a weapon, causing three points of damage to her opponent's endurance score rather than two. Well, that was a uh, cupboard worth opening, uh, particularly given that uh, fist thrower Alice here likes to uh, mix it up and get physical with people. So that'll make it a little bit easier for her by uh, allowing her to, you know, shiv the whimsical denizens of Wonderland rather than simply bludgeon them with her tiny, tiny fists. As Alice continues to tumble down the well, she sees a dresser racing up to meet her. Do you want her to grab whatever she can from the dresser or just leave well alone? Now, the gamebook designer in me feels like if you've got lucky once, you're really pushing your luck to try and rummage through things again. So I am going to leave the dresser alone on the basis that there's a good chance that it's full of something dangerous like, I know, haunted hairbrush or such like. As the dresser disappears again above her, Alice reaches a section of the well shaft adorned with framed maps and pictures hanging from hooks. Do you want to try and grab one of these? I mean, maps. Maps are for cowards. So no, we will not be trying to grab one of those. What's so bad about being constantly lost? That's what I want to know. Tumbling head over heels, Alice sees that she is fast approaching a rickety bookcase. Do you want to grab a book from the shelf as she falls past, or do you think she should leave her hands free just in case? Well, while I have an enormous ability to resist maps, I have zero ability to resist books, as anyone who sees my small but paper-strewn house will attest. So I am going to grab for a book. Alice's fingers close around the cracked leather spine of a slim volume, and as she continues to fall, pulls it from the bookcase. The wind whistling about her ears, she flicks through the book but can see no pictures and no obvious conversations. And what is the use of a book without pictures or conversations? She asks herself out loud. 
she stops at a page on which is printed a curious poem that reminds her of a rhyme her nurse used to sing, but which is at the same time quite different, and starts to read. Twinkle, twinkle, little bat, how I wonder what you're at. Up above the world you fly, like a tea tray in the sky. Twinkle, twinkle, little bat, how I wonder what you're at. Now, I've studied a bit of English in my time, and uh, one of the things that I picked up on during my studies of poetry was that all people reading out poems are required by law to put on a very silly voice. I didn't make the rule. It's just a rule. It's a bit like the rule that says all folk singers must attempt to sing as much through their nose as possible with an accent that resembles superficially an English regional accent, but on closer inspection is just weird. These are just rules of living that uh, I am bound to follow. So that's why we got quite a silly voice for what is, to be fair, quite a silly poem. What a curious poem, Alice says, and then starts as the book in her hands begins to twitch. As she watches, the book transforms. The cracked leather cover becomes the flapping wings of a large bat, the loosened leaves of its pages fluttering in the air around her. And then she is holding a large and very angry bat in her hands, which gives a shrill, high-pitched shriek, exposing elongated fangs. So we need to test the old insanity. Well, the old insanity starts at zero, so that's fine. Keeping her wits about her despite holding an angry bat in her hands, Alice declares, I'm sure the poem actually goes, Twinkle, twinkle, little star. As soon as she says the word star, the lanterns lining the well shaft flare into life, bathing the tunnel in light. The bat gives a pained shriek. It immediately flies off to find some dark crevice among the bookshelves where it can hide. So there we go, if there's any children listening. Under no circumstances should you attempt to read a book. It may turn into a giant bat. Valuable life lessons. Just when Alice thinks she can't possibly fall any further, ground appears at the bottom of the well, and she lands in a pile of dry leaves, which miraculously break her fall. Unhurt, she is on her feet in a moment. Before her is another long passage. There is no sign of the white rabbit, but she can hear the tick and rattle of clockwork coming from somewhere up ahead. There's not a moment to lose. Chasing off down the passage, Alice turns a corner and finds herself in a long, low hall, lit by lamps hanging from the roof. There are doors all around the hall, but what has really attracted her attention are the two stick-like figures stalking towards her on pin-like legs. Although they are shaped like men, they are most definitely not men, since they are quite clearly made from pieces of metal, and their visible innards look like the workings of a clock. Tick-tock! Tick-tock go the clock mechanisms as the metal men stalk towards her, a sinister glint in their watch-case eyes. Tick-tock, tick-tock, the horrid vision of these clockwork creations, their brass body parts glinting in the lamplight, fills Alice with dread. Add one to Alice's insanity score. So, sanity now one. Quaking in fear, her face as white as a sheet, what should Alice do now? So we've got a range of options. We can try and dodge past the advancing TikTok men. We can try talking to the clockwork creations, which honestly I don't really fancy. I can attack them before they can attack Alice. 
She can try and think her way out of such a dangerous situation, or she can use her curiouser and curiouser ability. Well, if there's one thing we know about Alice Pleasant's cob throttler, it's that when things go against her, she's going to throw hands. So we are going to attack the TikTok men before they can attack Alice. Her heart pounding in her chest, Alice runs at the sinister TikTok men as the mechanical horrors scrape their gleaming metal claws together, sending sparks flying from the keenly honed blades. Do you think Alice should now make use of her pen is mightier ability? Uh, say, I've read the descriptions of these abilities, I'm not entirely sure what they do other than allow Alice to somehow kind of like rewrite encounters, which is a really cool mechanic. So I'm going to try it, even though I feel as though I should commit to Alice just pummeling and stabbing anything she comes across if there's an opportunity. I'm going to try and make use of this ability to sort of try and get a sense of what it can do for me. I like the idea of there being these powers that are unpredictable and that resist easy categorization. I think that's a really nice trick for a kind of dreamlike narrative. So anyway, we're going to try and use the pen is mightier. If you're run by clockwork, Alice says, observing the TikTok men through narrowed eyes, you must need someone to wind you up to make sure that you keep time. But I don't see a key anywhere. The mechanical men hesitate at this and look at each other before resuming their advance. But as they do so, their movements begin to slow, as does the ticking of their mechanical hearts. Beat by beat, step by step, the TikTok men finally come to a shuddering halt, leaning forwards at the waist, their talon hands hanging uselessly at their sides. That is awesome. That is a really, really cool power. I like it because it's given me a sense of what this power can do, but at the same time, it's also left it really, really open for the sort of effect you can get out of it. I think this is a really, really nice idea. The mechanical killers dealt with, Alice starts to explore the hall of doors. There are tall doors and small doors, some with golden handles, others half hidden behind drapes. But they all have one thing in common. They are all locked. The child can't help feeling that she's found herself in a situation very similar to this once before, but she can't quite remember when. It is as she is struggling to recover the memory lost in her ruminations that she notices the three-legged table standing in the middle of the hall. It is made of solid glass, which must be why she didn't see it before now. On top of the table are two objects, a tiny golden key and a bottle. The key appears far too small to open any of the doors around the hall. The bottle, on the other hand, is much more interesting. It's full of a strangely fluorescing liquid that changes colour before Alice's very eyes. One moment, it's cherry red. The next, a custard yellow. A label tied round the bottle's neck reads, Drink me. It is as Alice is studying the objects on top of the table that she spies something through the glass. Sitting on the floor beneath it, it's a little glass box. What should Alice do now? Take the tiny golden key, drink the contents of the bottle, or open the glass box? I'm pausing to try and create some dramatic tension because we all know what's going to happen. I am going to drink the bottle labelled Drink Me. I, I tried to give you a sense that anything could happen, that I'm cogitating upon various different options, but realistically, I'm going to drink that bottle straight away, much as I would in real life. Since the bottle is not marked poison, Alice puts it to her lips and takes a sip. The liquid 
which is now a pinkish red colour again, tastes like cherry tart. Delicious, says Alice, and takes another swig. It has the most wonderful flavour, like a mixture of cherry tart, custard, pineapple, roast turkey, toffee and hot buttered toast. So, uh, it's almost like me coming up with ideas for what my provisions consist of. Uh, that's delightful. What a curious feeling, the child declares, as a curious feeling overcomes her. It feels as if her organs are contracting inside her, her skeleton shrinking in response, followed by the rest of her. I must be shutting up like a telescope. And indeed she is, as the table soars above her, its glass legs growing to the size of tree trunks. When she is only ten inches high, Alice finally stops shrinking. Curiously, the bottle has shrunk along with her, as have her clothes, and it still has one measure of the potion left inside. So I can add the shrinking potion to the adventure sheet. What should she do now? Do you want Alice to continue trying the doors around the hall, or do you want her to open the glass box, or do you want to use her curiouser and curiouser ability to resolve this reversal of fortunes? Well, we don't know what the curiouser thing really does. Let's find out. Curiouser and curiouser and curiouser, declares Alice. One moment I'm shrinking and shrinking, wondering if I might go out altogether like a candle. The next, I'll probably start opening out again, wondering whether I'll stop before my head hits the ceiling. And then, sure enough, Alice starts to grow again, only stopping when she is her normal size. So I feel as though Curiouser and Curiouser is a kind of get-out-of-jail-free card you can invoke, and that the pen is mightier than the sword is a way of getting past combat encounters without fighting them, which makes sense. So this gives you a sort of back door out of encounters if you've really messed up, which I quite like. Um, I wasn't aware that I had messed up, but I sort of feel as though maybe that's what the text is suggesting. So yeah, that's really interesting. I think there's a lot of ways you could iterate on that from a design perspective to allow players to see a lot of the gamebook on a first playthrough while still preserving the interest in getting through the encounters without using the get out of jail free card so yeah that's something might we'll be talking about at the end anyway alice is back to her normal size alice is still stuck inside the hall of doors and she hasn't already done so she could try drinking the contents of the bottle on the table or alternatively she can keep trying the doors to see if one of them will actually open so we've done the bottle just trying random doors alice returns to testing the handles of the doors around the hall she can think of no other way of getting out of this place now after falling down the interminable rabbit hole. Suddenly a handle turns and the door she is trying opens a crack. However, it's at this exact moment that she spots a low curtain that she has not noticed before, covering the wall beside the unlocked door. Pulling back the drape reveals another door only 15 inches high with a golden lock. This tiny door is locked. Do you have... The golden key and do you want to try the golden lock? I have not got the golden key so we open the other door instead. Alice is surprised to find herself bathed in bright sunshine which spills in through the open door. She is standing at the end of a winding gravel path which leads to a neatly kept house. Alice can make out a polished brass plate on the front door of the house that shines in the impossible sunlight. She is deep underground after all but she cannot make out the name engraved upon it. Do you want Alice to step through the door and follow the path to the house? 
you can do that or you can close the door in which case you have to drink the contents of the bottle or examine the glass box under the table. I feel as though we're being pushed to examine the glass box under the table but I've committed to a course of action so I am going to see it through so we'll follow the path to the house. Following the gravel path to its end Alice stops before the front door of the neat little house. The brass plate has the name W. Rabbit engraved upon it and above the door on a lacquered piece of wood someone has painted the words The Burrow. Well there will be no prizes for guessing who lives here Alice says to herself. Alice has been brought up to mind her manners and knows that she should never enter a room without knocking first and that goes double for entering people's houses. I might start doing that at home just knocking whenever I enter any room will drive my husband crazy even if I explain Jonathan Green via Lewis Carroll told me to. However there are many strange things in this strange land that do not follow the usual order of things, so perhaps she should enter first and knock second. Do you want Alice to knock on the door, or do you want to try opening the door instead of knocking? We're told that Alice has been brought up to mind her manners, so let's get a knocking. Alice raps on the door with her knuckles and then waits. She doesn't have to wait long before she hears pattering footsteps from the other side of the door, and then a small voice squeak, Who is it? Now that is a good question. Alice says to herself, I think I'm Alice. Yesterday things went on just as usual as far as I can recall. But so many queer things have happened today. I wonder if I've changed in the night. Let me think. Was I the same when I got up this morning? I almost think I can remember feeling a little different. But if I'm not the same, the next question is, who in the world am I? Ah, that's a great puzzle. Alice, she says out loud at last, if a little uncertainly. It's her, all right, comes a second voice, gruffer than the first. Best let her in. The front door opens, and Alice finds herself staring at a lizard, wearing the cap and clothes of a gardener, and a mouse dressed very smartly indeed in the manner of a bank clerk. This way, says the mouse, and you can come too, Mr Bixby, he adds, addressing the lizard. The mouse leads Alice from a tiled hall into a room filled with glass cases containing displays of stuffed birds, animals and fish, and from there into a snug study. Weird to think that there was ever a time when you could do taxidermy without coming across like a serial killer. Waiting for her behind a green leather-top writing desk is the master of the house, the white rabbit. Ah, oh, there you are, says the rabbit, giving an exasperated sigh. You never were very good at timekeeping, the rabbit goes on, regarding Alice through lifeless glass eyes. Uh, yes, here I am, says Alice, and then, annoyed by the rabbit's slight, adds, But where is here, exactly? Why, my home, of course, replies the rabbit. What a strange question. I hit the H again on that, what? He addresses this last remark to the lizard and the mouse. And where is that, exactly? The animals stare at Alice in dumbfounded amazement, as if she is a monkey that has just learned to walk and talk, although such a thing is probably commonplace here, wherever here is. Why, Wonderland, of course, the white rabbit exclaims with growing irritation. Don't you remember? Remember what? asks Alice. This, Wonderland, Alice shakes her head. The Hall of Doors? Alice shakes her head again. The beautiful garden. I'm very sorry, Mr. Rabbit, but I'm afraid I don't. Some things seem familiar, like you, for example, but as if I dreamt it once upon a time. 
That's because you did dream it, the white rabbit says, regarding her with dead glass eyes. You'll be wanting some answers then, and tea too, probably. Tea first, I should think. The white rabbit picks up a little silver bell from the desk and rings it. And then none of this is real, says Alice, taking in the room around her, as well as the animals within it. Why does that make it any less real? The white rabbit challenges her. Just because this is your dream doesn't mean we all fade into nothingness the moment you wake up. Life goes on here whether you're here to observe it or not. Occasionally, I will have a nightmare where I realise I'm in a nightmare and then worry that the nightmare is real and that the waking world is not real. And then I will always wake up from that nightmare in a state of sight confusion and existential dread that lasts until the more normal existential dread takes over sort of mid-morning. Fascinating idea, isn't it? That dreams could be as real or more real than our waking lives. After all, when we imagine worlds, particularly those of us who are into role-playing and gaming, we tend to imagine worlds that have more rules, more rigid rules, than the worlds we actually live in. So it does make a certain type of sense that a, a realm of anarchy and illusion would want to dream a world where cause and effect were more closely allied. Anyway, that's sorry, that's enough of my speculations. Let's get back to the action. Alice suddenly feels rather light-headed. This is all oh, rather a lot to take in, she says, her legs giving way and a padded leather armchair catching her. Yes, I can see, the rabbit says, his tone more sympathetic now. Where is that tea? Marianne, where is the useless girl? Would you go and see what she's up to, there's a good chap? The rabbit asks the mouse. With a curt nod, the mouse exits the study. Recalling her encounter with the rabbit beside the riverbank, Alice's mind is a whirl with questions again. Questions such as, who is the Queen of Hearts? Who turned the white rabbit into a walking timepiece and how does he expect her to kill anyone? But which question is the most pressing? Who is the Queen of Hearts? Who turned you into a walking timepiece? How do you expect me to kill anyone? So, I think this Alice has got a pair of scissors. I think she could kill someone with those scissors if pushed comes to shove, so we'll discount that question. I'm guessing it was the Queen of Hearts that turned the rabbit into a walking timepiece. She did presumably make the TikTok men, after all. So we will go to the heart of the matter by asking who is the Queen of Hearts. Surely you remember Her Majesty? The rabbit gasps in disbelief. Foul-tempered ruler of Wonderland? Quick to pass a sentence of death for the slightest offence? Off with their heads? No? What happened to the King of Hearts? Asks Alice, shaking her head. Best not to ask. The lizard draws a finger across his throat while making a strange clicking noise from the side of his mouth. Hearsay and rumour, Bill. Hearsay and rumour, chides the white rabbit. But look what she has done to you. The lizard says pointedly. Now don't get yourself all het up. You know what happens when you get worked up. And you know what they say about walls and ears too. We can't be too careful, not with her TikTok men about. It is then that the mouse returns, carrying a tray of tea things. Shall I be mother? asks Alice, glad of the distraction, and proceeds to pour out four cups of tea. After all that's happened to her, she doesn't think it's at all strange to be sitting down to tea with a stuffed rabbit, pocket watch, a mouse and a lizard. Mmm, Earl Grey! So I have to do an even higher pitched voice for the mouse than I did for the rabbit. That's, that's a 
Oh, poor decision. I should have given the rabbit an unusually uh, normal tombred voice. But anyway, here we are. Hello, mm, Grey, the mouse says, closing its eyes and savouring the aroma of the hot steam. I do love Earl Grey. Alice takes a wary sip from her own cup. The tea is indeed delicious and most refreshing. Add up to six endurance points. Well, endurance holding steady at 21. Now, where was I? The white rabbit says. Oh yes, the Queen of Hearts. And see how I'm just gently lowering the timbre of the white rabbit's voice. Doing it really subtly to try and hide the fact that I can't do a high enough voice for the mouse. So I'm going to have to shift things about. But before he can say any more, the rabbit is interrupted by a sharp cracking sound and a noise like the internal workings of a watch exploding. All eyes turn to the grandfather clock and watch as the timepiece transforms into an almost humanoid form. The clock's pendulum swinging from the end of one arm-like appendage not unlike a flail, while the other ends in the scissoring hands of its face. There is a spy in the camp, shrieks the rabbit. Walls might have ears, but a clock has a face and hands. The meeting in the study has been observed, and now the Queen of Hearts' spy will eliminate those that threaten her chokehold on Wonderland. First to go is the mouse. One swing of the pendulum sees to that, caving in the poor creature's skull and sending the tea things crashing to the floor, also saving me from having to do a squeaky voice. The return swing sends Bill the Lizard flying into a glass-fronted cabinet of animal skulls, the glass shattering and the woodwork splintering as he lands in a bleeding heap amidst the debris. Run, Alice! screams the white rabbit. Save yourself! Stop the queen! The animal is abruptly silenced as the clockwork assassin removes his head with a scything sweep of its other arm. Alice turns in a panic and throws herself at the door, as, with one almighty leap, the transformed grandfather clock leaps over the desk, reaching for her with its scissoring clock-hand fingers. Take an agility test. So agility eight, I roll a one and a five. So six. The scissoring blade snaps shut and a lock of Alice's hair tumbles to the floor. She has escaped serious injury, but only by a hair's breadth. The grandfather clock lands between Alice and the door, blocking her escape route from the study. It begins to dawn on her that this could all have been a trap, set by the Queen of Hearts to eliminate her enemy, before she even knew she was her enemy, that Alice might escape the Mad Queen's trap yet. If you want Alice to use the Pen is Mightier ability to save herself, you can, otherwise you will have to prepare for battle. Well, I wouldn't say these People that the grandfather clock has murdered are friends. They are casual acquaintances as best. But you don't murder a casual acquaintance, three casual acquaintances of Alice Pleasant's cob throttler without suffering consequences. So we are just going to go straight for a battle. As the grandfather clock bears down on her, Alice readies herself for battle once again. Alice has the initiative, giving her an effective combat of 12 on the first round. The grandfather clock has a combat of eight, an endurance of nine. And every time it makes a successful hit, it will either cut her with a scissor-like clock hands, causing two endurance points of damage. However, if the number rolled is even, then it hits her with the swinging pendulum, causing her three endurance points of damage. So, yeah, it's a very straightforward combat trick. But again, it has a nice little bit of novelty to this first combat. So, 
for the first time in this nightmarish adventure, I'm going to roll some dice. I have defeated the grandfather clock. Uh, thanks to my pair of scissors, I was able to defeat it without any damage being suffered. That extra damage really does stack quickly. Yeah, that's a, I like the initiative roll. That's really good fun. Yeah, it really adds something, and it's, it's very simple. Incredibly, the white rabbit still appears to be alive. But then he was already dead when Alice first met him beside the riverbank. Nothing but stuffing and clockwork. Although that might be considered a form of life. Alice, you must go. The Queen is on to us, the rabbit's head says. For a moment, Alice is paralysed by shock, taking in the devastation in appalled horror. From rabbit's decapitated body behind the desk, to the mouse's crushed skull, to the lizard barely conscious in the corner of the room. There is nothing she can do for the mouse, but she might yet be able to save Bill the lizard, or even the white rabbit. If you want Alice to help the rabbit, you can, or you can help the lizard, or you can flee. Well, the white rabbit, clearly not hurting for scratch. Clearly a monstrous rabbit clock hybrid of some means. Some standing in the community. Bill the lizard, downtrodden labourer in the gardens. I think he's much more deserving of my aid than the incredibly bourgeois rabbit monster. So we'll, we'll go and deal with the lizard. Bill lies prone amidst the wreckage of the broken cabinet. His body is covered in cuts caused by the broken glass. He is breathing heavily. Mr Lizard, Alice says, kneeling down beside him. Bill, can you hear me? In response, a guttural snarl issues from the lizard's throat. Oh no, it's happening again, cries the rabbit. Get out of here, Alice. Get out of here now. Don't do it, Bill. The rabbit goes on desperately. You can control this. You know you can. We've done it before, remember? Alice, get out. You won't like Bill. Not when he's angry. I have to know. I have to know if Bill the Lizard is about to turn into the incredible Bill the Lizard. Because that surely is the only logical way, or even illogical way, for this scene to end. So I'm going to have to have Alice stay. The lizard gives another snarling hiss, causing Alice to take a wary step away from him. But she cannot tear her eyes from poor Bill when he starts to go his own terrible transformation. Bill's body seems to swell with every breath he takes, causing his gardener's shirt to split at the seams. As the tatters of his clothes fall from his ever-expanding body, so his snout elongates and his tail grows, becoming longer and thicker. But it is not only Bill's clothes that are coming apart. His skin is splitting too, the tears following the gashes caused by the broken shards of glass. Shaking off his shed skin and now standing on all fours, Bill the Lizard turns his attention to Alice. His eyes burn red and his mouth is full of saurian fangs as long as steak knives. The white rabbit's gardener is Bill the Lizard no longer. He has become Bill the basilisk, and he is blocking Alice's way out of the room. If you want Alice to use the pen is mightier to save herself, you can. If not, you will have to fight for her life once again. Well, I say I've nothing against Bill. He's a gardener, even if he's now a murderous gardener. So I think I'm going to use the pen is mightier to try and rewrite this encounter. Suddenly, a face appears at the window. It's that of a weasel dressed in a similar manner to Bill before his unfortunate transformation. Here, what's going on? 
Weasel shouts, throwing open the window and climbing into the study. Is that you, Bill? Upon seeing the mustelid, the basilisk gives a furious hiss, smashing through the study door in its hurry to escape the new arrival. Get back here, you! The weasel shouts as it sets off in pursuit, leaving Alice alone in the study. She listens as the basilisk crashes through the house, overturning furniture and breaking windows, until it finds its way through the front door and an eerie stillness falls over the place once more. The rabbit's eyelids flicker open one last time, and Alice can hear the grinding of gears as he articulates his message. Seek out the seer. Only he can help you remember what has been forgotten. Enter the fungus forest and find the caterpillar. The mists will lead you to him. And then the rabbit speaks no more, and with one final whirring click, his internal clockwork falls silent too. Alice runs from the house, tears streaming down her cheeks. So overwhelmed she is by what she has just witnessed. Behind her lies death and destruction, while before her lies a gloomy forest. And yet even its dark depths seem preferable to remaining at the White Rabbit's house a moment longer. As Alice enters the forest, she passes from daylight into a sinister twilight gloom. As she moves deeper into the preternatural darkness, she realises that trees are giving way to towering fungal forms that appear to be taller than the trees themselves. Alice starts to wonder if she has changed size as she has followed the path through the forest. Finally, the path she is following between the looming fungi forks. Do you want to take the left-hand path or the right-hand path as it disappears into the mist? Well, Rabbit told us that there would be mist, so mist we will follow. As Alice proceeds along the path, the tendrils of mellow mist that snake around the trunks of the towering toadstools thicken to become a miasmic haze, thick with the sweet smell of mould and decay. She finds herself entering a hollow, at the centre of which is a large mushroom. It's about the same height as herself, and when she has looked under it, and on both sides of it, and behind it, it occurs to her that she might as well look and see what is on top of it. Stretching herself on tiptoe, Alice peers over the edge of the mushroom, and she finds herself nose to nose with a monstrous lava, at least twice as long as she is tall. Its head is a bulbous mass of soft, rippling flesh, while a series of pseudopods and jointed legs run the length of both sides of its undulating body. And the thing appears to be smoking a hookah pipe. So, that's... Uh... I mean, it's an obvious way to do it. Do the caterpillar that looks like an actual caterpillar. Because actual caterpillars, when you get up close to them, are horrible. But, you know, sometimes doing the obvious thing is the right thing to do. And I think here, it's absolutely the right thing to do. So we have to take an insanity test. Well, our insanity is still one. So uh, we pass the test automatically. The colossal caterpillar rears back, the hooker falling from its mouth parts its body rippling hideously as it does so. Manipulating its mandibles in an unnatural way, the caterpillar says, Alice, is that you? Not sure whether she should be more surprised by the fact that the caterpillar can speak, or that the gigantic butterfly larva seems to know who she is. Confused and bemused, Alice says in a dreamy voice, I hardly know, sir. Just at present, at least, at least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have been changed several times since then. The caterpillar sucks on the hookah pipe and then says, 
So you think you've changed, do you? I'm afraid I am, says Alice. I can't remember things as I used, and I don't keep the same size for more than ten minutes together. Can't remember what things, says the caterpillar. Well, Alice hesitates. This place for a start. Everything seems strangely familiar, even though I haven't been here before. What you mean is you don't remember being here before. And that's hardly the same thing, is it? replies the caterpillar sagely. The caterpillar takes another puff on the hookah, closing its eyes as it savours the smoke, and then it goes on. The question is, what is more important for you to remember? Things that have already happened, or things that have yet to happen? I can't remember things before they happen, Alice says indignantly, starting to feel like she's had enough of this nonsense. It's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards, the caterpillar remarks. What sort of things do you remember best? Alice ventures to ask. Oh, the things that happened the week after next, the caterpillar replies in a careless tone. Things that happened later today. For instance, I remember you standing at the gates of the royal palace and uttering the password Jabberwocky. If anyone ever asks Alice the direct question, what is the password, deduct 50 from the number of the paragraph you are reading at the time, and turn to the new paragraph immediately. So there we go, a clue. We've got scissors, a shrinking potion, and an honest-to-goodness clue. It's dreadfully confusing, declares Alice. Which is precisely why you need to remember, says the caterpillar. So what's it to be? The future? Immense lava points to the edge of the mushroom. Or to the past? It asks, offering her the hookah pipe. Alice is not in the habit of accepting strange substances from even stranger strangers, but then neither does she normally have conversations with giant caterpillars. So what should Alice do now? So we've got the choice of nibble at the edge of the mushroom, or take a puff at the hookah pipe, or politely decline both. Well, in fact, what we're going to do is end the playthrough there. I am sensible of the fact that this is very easily still available. I don't want to spoil more of the book than this. I will continue with my playthrough off microphone to see what happens. I've had a very nice time with this. And so, yeah, I think we will leave Alice's adventure there for the meantime. And I will be back in a few seconds with some closing remarks. Tatty bye. And I'm back. Having played Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland through to completion, I think I can offer a fairly hearty endorsement of this gamebook. It's well written, and the steampunk riff on Alice's adventures is an intriguing premise. Now, I'm not going to talk about how well I think the book lands in terms of capturing the feel of the original texts, nor how successful it is at making them new, because I think that's something that's going to be different for everyone. If you're someone who generally enjoys seeing Alice reinterpreted, then I think you'll find a lot to like in this version. If you are more of a purist, then I don't think this is going to change your mind. Now, what's interesting about the book structurally is the number of different ways it provides for navigating the various challenges in your path. For many of the encounters, you can adjust the difficulty down with some approaches, you can make them more difficult with others, and bypass them completely with some other approaches. 
In particular, your pen is mightier ability is very frequently useful for getting through a fight without a scratch. So deciding when and where to use that ability to best effect is very enjoyable, I found on repeat playthroughs. Not least when you find an encounter where you'd used it and you decide not to and you discover it was actually quite an easy fight. The other ability, Curiouser and Curiouser, is even more interesting in terms of the design space because it will make things worse at least as often as it makes things better, but usually in a way that's interesting and in keeping with the surreal tone rather than in a way that's just disappointing. I like both abilities a lot, and I love the idea that you can rewrite part of the story. It's a suitably strange metatextual effect, and I can already think of a whole bunch of ways you could implement something similar in other less surreal contexts. Beyond that, the core system works. It's not flashy, and I think there's an argument for saying there's too many stats, but otherwise I can't really complain. I prefer a slightly more random system, but being able to create different builds to try and approach the story in different ways on subsequent journeys, that's a great way of adding replayability to sections you've done several times. And it's a big book. There's over 500 sections, and a lot of that additional space is being used to provide subtle but enjoyable variations on encounters you've had before. I will say the insanity stat feels a bit underused. It doesn't quite add as much as the special skills, in particular Curiouser and Curiouser is sort of sharing quite a lot of design space with it, not least because it's doing some of the same things in terms of shaping the narrative. But I'll forgive it because there's one very cool Easter egg that comes from a wildly unlikely failed insanity check early doors that I just think is great and exactly the sort of thing that really made me smile when I was replaying. Now it turns out my choice of a time to pause the recording was apposite because I was about to wind up in a maze and we all know how much I like mazes. Not very much. It would have been a dull podcast segment for sure but the design of the maze is pretty good as these things go. I could rarely be bothered mapping and I much prefer just blundering about at random. I was able to make it through doing that without getting too frustrated and there were some neat encounters within that space. It didn't win me over to the idea of wandering through endless repetitive hedges as a particularly interesting form of entertainment but I think it did a good job of giving you that experience of being a bit lost and then allowing you to find your way out. And I think the best mazes are those that feel like mazes, but aren't actually that maze-like. And I think this is doing a good job of trying to thread that needle. Now, there's not a huge number of full-on puzzles here, but the ones there are, they do their job well for the most part. But there is one glaring exception, a chess puzzle that calls back to the preface of Alice Through the Looking Glass. If you've read the preface recently, it's a lovely, lovely callback. But if you haven't, then the solution clearly suggested by the chessboard, that's wrong. And finding out that that's wrong feels cheap and wordlessly frustrating until you go and look at Alice Through the Looking Glass. I think it's a bad misjudgment and the error is compounded by the solution being required to complete the game. So being reminded at the end of the story, which generally I think finishes quite well of the biggest design flaw in the entire book. That's not a not a particularly nice feeling, but you know, I was able to move past it. 
Now, I understand that the puzzle has been fixed in some versions of the game, but it wasn't in the ebook I got from Amazon, so the criticism stands because that's like the most easily available version. And it's not the only problem with the ebook either. In the Kindle version I bought, which I was reading on an old Apple tablet, the art from the puzzle in question showing the chessboard doesn't even appear at the same point in the text, so you have to go hunting through the text to find the image of the puzzle. A puzzle you will then get wrong, compounding the frustration. In fact, none of the art appears in the right place. It's just sprinkled through at random and displayed in a variety of sizes, mostly too small. And that's a crying shame because the artwork is great and it's such a wonderful asset to the book. One of the things that Jonathan Green has said in interviews is that he thinks that artwork is an essential part of the game book. And while I wouldn't go quite that far, I do agree that it heightens the experience so much. Um, I'm very irritated that I'm not a good enough artist to have been able to provide any illustrations for my own game book. Kev Crossley, the illustrator, has managed to strike an ideal balance between children's illustrations and full-on body horror at points. And it's frustrating to see such wonderful art being treated with so little care. Also, and this is borderline unforgivable in a commercial release, one of the very first links in the very first paragraph is broken. Very little care seems to have been taken over the ebook edition of this, this game book. And unlike Puzzle Choice, that's not the fault of the author. That's squarely on the editor. It's a testament to how much I enjoyed the book that these issues, although they are very frustrating, they did not ruin the experience for me. They definitely took the shine off it, and if you can get a paper copy, then I definitely would. It's possible that the Kindle version works better on actual Amazon technology, but I can only speak to my own experience, and my experience was that it had been done shoddily. So, and that sort of takes the cream out of all the nice comments I've got about Alice's Nightmare in Wonderland, because I did really, really enjoy it, and I'll probably be getting some more of Jonathan Green's game books, tech issues notwithstanding. I may even get another ebook, although if the next one is as bad as this, then yeah, that will be the end of that, and I'll be buying them secondhand, which is not great for the author. And my experience certainly confirms that playing adventure game books in paper is simply the, the right way to experience them, if that's possible, and it isn't always possible. The ability to jump about easily in a text, to stick your fingers in a bit you're interested in, the ability to see the artwork in the flesh, and also sort of happen across it as you're flicking through, that visceral experience is impossible to replicate. I think an ebook is still better than a video game approach, even maybe narrative puzzle video games. I had been considering making my next game book as a twine adventure, but I think there's certain things that you just want to stick with the PDF. It's not as good as paper, but it does still offer certain advantages over many of the video game approaches. Well, that's all from this episode. You can get in touch with me by emailing hjdoomretrofun, all one word, at gmail.com. Next episode, probably towards the middle of February, we'll be back in fighting fantasy territory with Robot Commando, and I have to read you the opening line from the blurb on the back. What would you do if you were a rancher on a distant planet using robots to herd vicious dinosaurs? I mean, if that doesn't make you want to tune in, then I don't know what will. Thanks.
very much for listening. Take care and I'll see you soon.